And I also believe in togetherness. And, and what fashion does is actually to bring that togetherness. I think because I'm very like stubborn about my own identity and my own culture, and I'm not trying to play around that. So like, I just want to give it to you the way it is and, and how sophisticated I think it should be. Um, I think about my heritage before, you know, like I'm not, I'm not Usain Chalian, you know, I have, I have my own reason. Um, the things that I've taken from him, obviously, is how do you do the job? Hi, I'm Dan Rubenstein, and this is The Grand Tourist. I've been a journalist for nearly 20 years, most recently as a home and design director at Departures Magazine. And this is my personalized guided tour through the worlds of fashion, art, architecture, food, and travel, all the elements of a well-lived life. For this first season of the podcast, I wanted to include an emerging designer from the world of fashion. After asking a few experts in my Rolodex, one name kept coming up, Kenneth Ize. For my friend Dan Thawley, the editor-in-chief of A Magazine Curated By, he felt that the designer's vision perfectly encapsulated the industry today in collections that challenge traditional ideas and speak volumes about the global fashion system. Vibrant, elegant, and fresh. These are just a few words to describe Ize and his repertoire of menswear and womenswear. Born in Nigeria and raised in Austria, Kenneth studied under the watchful eye of legendary designer Hussein Chalayan. Today, he shuttles back and forth between Africa and Europe to produce clothes that often use a shoke, a hand-woven Nigerian cloth that gives Ize's clothes a captivating edge. Combined with vibrant colors and relaxed silhouettes, his work seems timeless in a way, but oh so contemporary at the same time. And in today's world, that's really saying something. Kenneth also faces economic and political upheavals in Nigeria, which we'll speak about. But nonetheless, he's on the up and up like few others. Supermodel Naomi Campbell walked his runway last year as a sign of support. He was named a finalist for the LVMH Prize in 2019, a finalist for the International Woolmark Prize this year. I spoke with Kenneth during one of his many stops through Europe to speak about bridging cultures, industries, and his struggles to keep traditional Nigerian crafts alive. Um, I grew up in Linked, actually, in, not in Vienna. It's, Linked is like a countryside. You know, it's a very quiet city, a lot of foreigners. So it's like foreigners friendly. Um, growing up in Linked was kind of difficult for me um, because um, at first I was fighting with my own sexuality, I guess, as a kid. Um, and then also at, with like having to, you know, like going to schools and like being bullied because... You know, Austria is also still very small. Like it's not, um, as you know, it's not, so it's, it's an international city, but at the same time, it's still very conservative. It was just for me going to school and coming back home. Like that was how I really grew up, um, around my family. And I think that's quite great. Like that's really amazing because, um, I learned to, like, I get to like have so much time with my family growing up and I learned to know a lot about my own culture in, in a foreign land that my culture doesn't really particularly play around. So I guess Linked is just Linked. You know, I loved Vienna so much. I loved when I moved to Vienna um, to study. Um, I guess that was also such a great time in my, in my life because it was an art school, that things I haven't seen before. I was been able to experiment in myself and also find myself out. And when you were growing up, were you going back and forth or was it more in chunks yeah so no we weren't going back and forth um it was quite difficult to travel 
in the 90s like you know um plane tickets were very expensive so like we had to like go home like maybe once a year or like once in four years and those years were very like um very important for me because those are the time that I was really getting into actually design you know like my mom would like take us to Nigeria and like she would take us to the tailor after buying our fabric and like tell us to like yeah just tell us let's make something so that gave me the chance of like oh okay I'm gonna tell my tailor to make something you know um so your, your parents were supportive oh yeah absolutely like my parents love fashion so much <laughs> like when it comes to like appearances I believe like most Nigerian parents they kind of like work like they kind of focus it into appearances and how they out the way like and the way they want their kids to be presented and the way like how they want their kids to be dressed like it's very particular for like an Nigerian home. And can you explain a little bit about, um, you know, work, you know, learning under Hussein Shalayan in terms of like how he approached, like what was he like as a teacher? Because I did my final year with Hussein, um, we, that year is called the Liberty, like you can do anything. So you have to like critique your work yourself. You have to just like, you have to be ready. Like that's the year that sends you outside. So, um, I was so lucky to have saying, I think it's, it's such an amazing person. I love him so much. Um, it just like taught us how to, like I said, how to make things that are very relevant. Like that is what was saying Shalian is about. Um, well, for example, like Bernard, cause I also studied under Bernard, like Bernard was more like, oh, let's play around. Like, let's twerk it. Like there's this like flexibility, but Usain also has it, but like, it just comes in a different pattern. Um, I thought those two people were just the best people that I could have ever learned um, fashion from. And Usain was very like particular about, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't really say so much about your work because it's, it's actually waiting for you to like see it and then tell him what's wrong. So he doesn't want to like tell you, oh yeah, like why is this? So he never really liked that. Um, I guess he was waiting for us to, to be aware that, hey guys, this is just how many months more and you're gone. So um, you, you should know everything. Um, and that's what I love about him. It's just like giving you time to, and space to just find yourself. Before we return to Kenneth, I'd like to thank our sponsor, BNB Italia, a leader in luxury designer furniture. Founded in 1966, the company stands out for its representation of contemporary culture and for its research and innovation which has allowed the brand to create products with unique style and elegance. The brand is the fruitful partnership between the company's research and development center in Northern Italy and the best international design professionals. The iconic products of B&B Italia radically mark the history of design. The brand has so many legendary pieces and there's one to fit every personality. If I had to suggest an icon of B&B Italia to Kenneth Ize, I would recommend the Grande Papilio Armchair by Naoto Fukasawa. Its backrest is shaped like the elegant wings of a butterfly, and this seat can be covered in fabric or leather. It has a simple vertical zipper running up and down its back, which made me think of Kenneth. I'm sure he would appreciate its sartorial references, and the fact that the cover can be removed for cleaning, too. Speaking of icons, which one is right for your personality? Visit bebitalia.com for more information. Kenneth Ize graduated from the University of Applied Arts in Vienna in 2013, where he studied under Bernard Wilhelm. 
and then started his own label. While the reviews were stellar, he decided to take a break and return to school for his master's. He debuted a new line a few years later. Key to understanding his work is his use of Ashoke, a traditional woven textile from Nigeria that he sources for his collections. It's anything but fast fashion. So when you started your label for the first time, what did you set out to accomplish when you first started designing? I don't think I've ever thought about this. I think the things that I think about more are how do I plan ahead? How do I plan the future? How do I plan the future around people that do my work? Like that's, those are very important for me. And um, I was interning at Eden in New York and Eden was like, you know, they were doing every, like they were sourcing a lot of things from Africa. And it was kind of funny because we would always like, I would always like go online and search these people like artisans and I couldn't find them. So that just gave me the urge of like, oh my God, like, I just want to leave this job and just go back to school and finish and like go home. Cause like, this is it. Like, this is what I need to do. Um, that's how I started more. And like, I was thinking about, okay, how do I project my, like, how, like, where do I see myself in the next five years? Like how, what do I want people to, to remember about my brand? Like, what am I saying? What points am I making? I feel like those things are very difficult to like, um, put together. Um, and I'm still working on those. Um, I'm still working on the idea of how I want my brand to be, you know, it's still a baby brand. So I don't have, I know what I want to design is like through people's story. Maybe that's when, again, that's where that shifts to. I want to design through people's story. I want to design um, through what is happening now. Um, I'm not someone that goes into um, a book and search for plants or like search for, yeah, I just want to talk to people. Like I want to tap into what's happening now because that's what, that's what I can explain. And if I can express my feeling through that, like that's just for me. So can you explain to me a little bit about how your business is set up today? Because I feel like you are like, a, like an amazing example of like a fashion designer in the 21st century where production, design, culture, and your own personal home base is sort of distributed and flexible in a way that, you know, Hussein or others in the past, right, would never have had access to. So you're operating in a totally new environment. Can you just explain to me, like, what is your day-to-day or week-to-week life like, and how is your business set up? Oh, my God. First of all, if I tell you I know what I'm going to do in the next five days, I really don't know. Um, because I've, um, because, you know, everything I'm doing is also by learning by doing because, um, Nigeria is not such a developed country. Like it's not, we don't have, we have less infrastructure than we have here in Europe. Um, when I moved to Nigeria first, it was really hard for me to even like get things done. I feel like, you know, as an African designer or as <laughs> my story is completely different from like anyone here because one, like things like this hasn't truly been done from where I'm from. We've not had like major fashion houses that no one could like call from the, like from their lips. Um, so everything that I have to do is just by my instincts so, most times and also by 
just believing in something, just like, you know, believing that, okay, this is the right thing. I'm doing the right job. Um, but it's also very difficult in terms of like, okay, how do you, um, how do you also get the talent? Right. So I've struggled for the last six years in Lagos, not being able to like build a proper fashion studio because the talent is not just there. Um, and it's not just like, please pardon me when I say talent, it's, you know, like talents in a professional level, like someone that I feel like has a full knowledge. Like it's not, it's not something that you could just get anywhere um, in Nigeria. And that has affected me so much because I end up doing everything by myself to today, um, which is just like really draining because there is no one to really explain the business to. Um, the European markets don't really understand it. You know, um, when I'm explaining how long it would take a woven fabric to be produced and I still have the same deadline as like to any other brands, like buying fabrics from like Italy. Like for me, it's like crazy. It's like, how can you not understand what's going on? Like for this to happen, I know that it's such a slow fashion, but it's also something to look forward to and to get excited um, into. I travel a lot, you know, I then start. So I also have a production company in, in Italy. I think that saves a lot for me. Um, so I could be anywhere. I just need to like sketch the collection, um, you know, lay the collection out and send it to the production company to produce in Italy. It's quite convenient as, um, as a small brand. I think, um, it's, it's, it's just really practical to do that. What would you want someone listening to this to really understand about your work as a designer? My work really, um, relates on African craftsmanship. I believe in the continent of Africa so much. And I believe in the craft that we have. And I also um, believe in togetherness and what the, what, and, and what fashion does is actually to bring that togetherness. Like Nigeria is also such a different country now compared to like six, seven years ago. Um, people are, people know where Lagos is. You know, um, I go out and I listen to um, whiskey or like on the radio in a white shop, or like in a, in the shop here. So it's part of my French. <laughs> um, so it's fun to see how my job could open doors. And I want people to truly believe that fashion is, um, is a door opening in the continent of Africa because we love it so much. We've expressed it so much in different ways. Um, you know, we go to parties and like we have events based on fashion. So I truly believe that there is a language here. And this is why I've dived into uh, the textile industry in Nigeria. And, I, and I'm really looking forward to grow this industry as much as it can grow. Um, and I want people to also be able to come to my country, Nigeria, like just on a regular, on holiday, just the way I would go to Sweden, you know, <laughs> like that exchange needs to start, needs to start. Um, needs to happen and I feel like it's not happening enough I have a lot of my friends that can't even mention three meal from my country right but I could mention five meal from your country in food you mean yeah food oh okay so like I, so I could mention so I have a lot of my friends that can't just like they can't just say oh yeah you know we have schnitzel um <laughs> you know they, they don't know what African food is for example 
And for you not to even know the food, you don't know the culture, you don't know anything about it. So I feel that I have responsibility being that I've lived this two world. Like I feel like I have the responsibility to carry my culture along and to make you understand it. And that's what I'm here to do. And that's what Kenneth is a, <laughs> is really about. <laughs> And can you explain a little bit about how these fabrics are woven to someone who has no idea? Yeah. So the fabric takes about three days to weave because I love stripes. So I feel like stripes are more like, it's really playful to work with stripes. You don't know one line might eat the next line. And that's why I love about stripes. It takes one, a day and a half to set up the loom. The loom is like a local and a like and loom. And to set up this loom uh, with the yarn, spin around, takes about half a day like a day and a half. And then to weave the fabric takes about the same, takes about one day. So it's like two, two, 2.5. So like one day for how much fabric? Uh, for like about two meters. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, yeah. that's intense. Yeah. It's really intense, but like, that's also like, that's also the sampling. So like anytime I'm doing a first proto, that's how much time it takes me to produce them. But then again, because like, I also have to find a way where this turns out to be a business and how to also grow the textile industry in Nigeria. So in Ilori, for example, like those guys, so they're mostly men. So they actually like produce in larger scale and the machine, like the and like, like the and the loom is also quite different from the standard loom. There's a sitting loom. And the fabric, the specific fabric that you're talking about, is that a shoke or is that... Um, yeah. Okay. That's and, a shoke. And so w- what about a shoke do you really love to design with? Like what makes it a fabric that you just think is like, is is what you're centering your your livelihood around? You know, I've seen this fabric since I was a kid. Like I've lived with this fabric. I've worn this fabric. My, I've you know, every, my, my, my mom has owned so much of this fabric. Those are the things that I truly see that relates with me to fashion. And it also like, it also expressed like a lot about my culture. It expressed about where I'm from. It has an identity. You know, I've lived in Europe almost all my life. I still have like an European mentality. Sort of, but like, and it baffles me so much when all my friends, when I get to understand all my friends' culture, maybe British, America, um, Austrian, you know, and it's crazy. They don't even understand my. So I feel like those things that I've been through as a kid actually just like pushes, um, like makes everything much more cohesive. Um, I really relate to when I was a kid a lot. Um, I referenced that time a lot because it was also so, it was such a long time that I couldn't even say things out or like express myself. So I was expressing myself through like maybe dressing, like wearing my mom's clothes in our room and like locking the door. So no, so like nobody comes in for like straight up four hours and like I would act by myself, you know? So those things that I experienced as a child, like that's the way I see First part of my design, for example, like it's like I'm seeing someone wearing something in front of me and I can't even 
tell you that, you know, I can explain to you, I'm seeing this person. This person is like, but you might not really see it, so, which is kind of crazy. Um, I, I try to like build things in my head. Um, what kind of things? A lot of things like, you know, like me, mostly me being happy to be fair, like mostly things that would make the next person happy and, um, honest, like things that would represent humanity and things that I'm thinking about mostly. And mostly since I've started Kenneth Easy since about how many years now, I feel like to have such a brand, like, um, to have like to be able to do what I'm doing, it also comes with so much honesty and so much sincerity. And, uh, and that's just what I'm trying to do. Like, I'm just trying to make sure that I really speak my truth every day. And even though it, when it's ugly, I can still speak it. And this is also why I'm so happy about my last collection, um, The Circle of Breath and Death. Uh, I thought, that was a time again where I was confused on what to do. I was overwhelmed. Um, but then again, I took everything <laughs> and just, you know, make sure that I'm telling myself, Oh my God, like I've heard so many stories. Like, you know, I've heard so many stories as a kid and what happens to, to like designers and like those sort of like, you know, so I'm not trying to let that happen to me. So like, there's this sort of like fear that I guess I have. And for me to be able to overcome that fear now was for me to be able to do that collection where I'm taking in all the dark side that I have into a collection. I'm just like, yeah, I feel really relieved from doing that last collection. Before we return to Kenneth, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Arnimist. Arnimist is the world's fastest growing online retail destination for exclusive Italian design, decor, lighting, and gifts. Founded in 2015, Arnimist celebrates and preserves authentic Italian craftsmanship by providing a global platform for over 1,000 independent producers, designer makers, and artisans, and features thousands of exclusive products. The unparalleled online edit you find on Arnimist includes the most extraordinary Italian makers for which the country is world-renowned. Design lovers and casual shoppers alike can search through more than 50,000 items, and you can take a closer look with multimedia content such as 360-degree views, videos, and detailed descriptions of each maker's history and specialized techniques. Listeners of The Grand Tourist can enjoy 10% off at Artemist with the code THEGRANDTOURIST. That's one word. So visit Artemist.com for more information. That's A-R-T-E-M-E-S-T dot com. As if surviving the fashion system wasn't enough, doing business for Ize in Nigeria can be especially challenging. Recent anti-corruption protests and the government backlash as a result, all during the pandemic, caused Ize, who lived there at the time, to enter a phase of self-introspection. As a result, his fall-winter collection, called A Circle of Birth and Death, turned his usual colorful and ebullient stripes into somber, solid colors and graphic patterns, including the morbid Ouroboros, a snake eating its own tail. And let me speak a little bit about your, your fall winter collection, uh, a cycle of birth and death, which has sort of had a, it's somewhat of a shift in tone from your previous collections um, where you're kind of responding like an artist would to the world around you. Uh, 
um, and it really manifesting in its clothes more than a trend or anything like that. Can you explain a little bit about how the collection came to be? I guess, first of all, um, because I wasn't really going around. No one was going around. <laughs> it was locked down. During the pandemic. Um, yeah. I fell in love with myself and my mirror. <laughs> you know, I was going through a slight depression, not being happy, moody, just like, you know, just like negative, where like the only thing you think about is, oh my God, like, when is this country going to be great at last? Like, when is this thing going to happen? Like, there's just so many things happening day by day that are not like positive news. So the only time that I get with myself is my mirror. So I got this gigantic mirror in my studio. And then I would always like, just look at myself and just see what I see myself in the mirror. And at the point where I was doing that, then I knew that, okay, there's no way, no two ways about this. I've just driven past the Lekki tailgate where people were killed on uh, 28th October. And I'm driving through this tailgate. It's like a war zone. It's like everything is burned. It's like the pictures that you'd never imagine of like seeing in Lagos, like where everything is just destroyed. There's been a big fight here. Like, and I'm having to come back to Lagos to drive through that road. And at the point when I drove through that road was when I knew that, man, there is nothing to be excited about this collection. There's truly nothing to be colorful or rejoice or because people died, you know, like people that truly believe, people that really believe in the country actually died. So the only way for me was just to really tap into that energy and just like tap into that space of like respecting mourning. It's a rebirth. How do you see things new? Like, how do you bring something different to your culture? So I had like snakes. <laughs> snakes was just like something I was truly researching on. Like, I just, I don't know how I stumbled on snakes. I just started fell in love with so much snakes. To the point I had snake as my DP, as my uh, display picture on my WhatsApp. And my mom would like, oh my God, like you need to get a snake out of here. <laughs> and... That for me. So your your clothes are normally very colorful with a lot of stripes and, you know, rainbow colors. And like now. Yeah. It's like a total, you know, graphic, graphic. very graphic, very somber, very, um, you know, darker in tone and solid colors and things like that. And, you know, you you sort of like mix these strong patterns with with sort of, you know, in, in certain shoots, like with, you know, Manolo Blahniks or, you know, really kind of conservative things. Like, how do you define elegance today? Like, what do you think that this collection says about, like, the moment that we're in in terms of fashion, like what people wear? I think elegance for me, the way I'm thinking it these days is that elegance is very, it leaves a memory, right? Like, for 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 you to be able to create something elegant, you already leave that memory. Like you, like you already leave that time while you're creating it. So, and you see it. So, um, elegancy is just living through, um, through, through the time for me, because there's a pattern that doesn't come twice. Um, our story is also very different. So that's the way I see elegant. Like it's beyond seeing something glamorous or like clothes. Like elegancy comes also in someone's attitude um, in so many ways. And for me, like I knew that I wanted to do 
some to do a collection that would reflect my elegancy. And my elegance is just like me speaking my truth <laughs> again. So like it's me, okay, telling you, oh yeah, like this is this is why I'm doing this you know, getting really deep into it, understanding why or where is this Ouroboros sign coming from? Um, you know, like, where is the snake coming from? Like, snakes that we never even try to, like, do in as a Nigerian person because we see that as, like, a as like a serpent, like, something very, like, de- demonic. Um, and we don't really relate to things like that. Or, like, you know, some aunties and uncles in Nigeria and, like, oh, my God, we can't wear a snake. But then again, like, no, let's have this conversation of like, you can't wear a snake. Like this is, we've been, you know, like in Nigeria, we've been thought to be a bit conservative in a way, you know, like, and I'm trying to just like free our mind away from that in my own idea. And again, like that goes into elegancy on how do you, um, how do you break things in category and shape them together. And you've, you've had a lot of like seals of approval from people in the industry. Like you collaborated with the label of the late Karl Lagerfeld, Naomi Campbell walked your runway once um, as like these shows of, these are kind of like, you know, shows of support. Um, And you've been recognized by many competitions and so on. Like, do you think that the fashion system as it's built is welcoming to new designers because it seems like there's two things going on. There's a lot of opportunities for people to boost you and give you awards, but then at the same time, you hear about how difficult it is for for new designers to really make it, um, even if their clothes are you know hugely successful with critics and things like that. Uh, what would you you know? How do you describe the the fashion system in terms of like making it as like a, an emerging designer? I mean, there is still a system that is fine for us to like still abide to like based on the rules, like, you know, it's an industry that's fine. But for me, when I moved to Africa, I didn't think about one single person. I didn't even think about the industry. I still truly do not fully think about the industry. I think I think more about where this work is coming from and what do I want to say? What do I want to say? And I'm not trying to miss one minute of what I have to say. That's where I am. If I tell you, Dan, I actually cannot name 30 professional people in like 30 in fashion. I don't know their names. A lot of people that I've met, I've just known them from like maybe being in the same events or like having to like exchange emails. I really do not know anyone, I believe. I try not to be in it too much. I try to create my own territory and my own universe. I don't know what rules and regulation they have in fashion. When I started, I didn't think about any of those things. You know, I literally moved to Africa and I just started doing what I was doing. But then I knew that, okay, for me to break through is for me to have such a strong identity. And that was what I worked towards. It's for me to just like have something to say. If you had to encapsulate what you want your clothes to say, in one sentence, like, what would you say? What would that be? Love. I can't even think twice. I wouldn't buy such jackets and then just like throw it away. If you're really passionate about something and if you know what you're buying, you're still going to have to give to someone. And it takes love for you to keep it, to give to the next person. And it takes so much love and patience to be able to 
actually make this fabric because some like most times when I look at the fabric, I'm like, wow, is this just this yarn thing that's that that that's turned to something like this? It's so beautiful. And the only thing that I see around my work that I love so much is love. You know, everyone that does something for the brand, it's just there's just a sense of like love. You have a frequent collaborator, uh, an American-born photographer, Joshua Woods, who has a kind of like informal, like almost like a vintage style that's very playful and kind of cinematic in a way. Um, how do you approach like image making in general, like when you think about your your collections? Josh and I, when we decided to work on the last season together, it was actually just for a very short note. And I guess sometimes this is where my work gives me flexibility. And this is where I also love about my job is that it's not strict, right? Like, because there is already a story that you, there's a message since, you know, probably from the first day you started doing the collection, there's, a, there's just, there's a message there. You have something that you're looking forward to that you're working towards. And when I met jo Josh, it was, it was just like having a conversation and then on trying, like understanding things that I'm trying to say. And Josh for those, um, those tapestries, like those, um, layered tapestries, they were sort of like layers of life and life is going to be different. Colorful, dark, beautiful, ugly, everything, but we still don't know tomorrow. So. And just to have like sand on the floor, like white sand from where like the white sand is coming from the water, right? Like that for me. So there's still like spiritual contest to like this shoot. Then, then probably people think that people weren't thinking about. So the sand for me deals with like water, like this, the, the sand is coming from the water. Like that's what connects us together. And where did you meet Joshua? How did you connect with him? I met Josh in Paris. Yeah. About three years ago in Paris. And what drew, what drew you to his work? Why were you like, that's the guy for me? Because through our conversation, like through, through the conversation that, so the thing is, if I'm not being able to have a, a deeper conversation with you for you to understand what I'm trying to do, there's no point. We are not doing it. Like I'm such an emotional person that you have to really connect with like my feeling and like what I'm trying to say. So Josh is just probably a good listener that was listening at that time so well. It was just really nice to work with him because it was very quick. We shot everything in like a day. Um, it was so beautiful. It was such a beautiful shoot. Oh my God. Uh, everyone was so happy. Yeah. And it was just there, you know, when someone is actually there to see your struggles and what you've been through to make this thing happen. I think that was the state Josh was. And it was just, we're just there that day. Let's put it here. Let's put it here. Before my time with Kenneth comes to an end, I wanted to speak with him about the future, not only for his label, but for his beloved home country of Nigeria. Kenneth, with everything going on in Nigeria today, from the NSARS protests to the pandemic, what is the mood like in the country? Do you have a community of like-minded creatives that you can turn to? Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like 85 so the country is now bad that 85% of the population will agree with what I'm saying because everyone is just like speaking the same language for the first time. And everyone is sick of just like corrupt government, you know, like people are seeing so many potentials. So like, so everyone needs a better, like everyone needs a stable life. 
And that's what we're looking for in Nigeria, like just basic necessity. It's very heartbreaking that I have to run my generator every day to turn on my computer and to work. And me not being used to that sort of like environment could really be challenging for me, for example, you know, or having to like sit in traffic for like five hours and like for you just like not like you knowing that okay if this one thing is done here we wouldn't have to be in traffic for like five hours you know and I can't even explain that to people here in Europe that oh my god like once you miss me um <laughs> trying to call me or like trying to reach me it's just not my fault like it's the it's the country and and, and do you ever think about throwing in the towel like do you ever think about just saying Hey, I'm going to move to Vienna and I'm never going back. I have, uh, I've, I'm moving to Italy now. <laughs> you know, I've been trying to move to Italy for a very long time, but I guess I've decided to move to Italy for, first of all, my own sanity. Um, I believe that I have given so much and I'm ready to give so much. But then again, a part of me wants to smell the freedom that I've had before. And it comes, for example, with me being 31 years old. And why can I not go on just a regular date in Lagos? Like, you know, why can I not just like do regular things that I would do here? And it's not about the privilege, but I, it, it's just that self-love, right? Like that's who I am. So if I'm not being able to like express myself fully in a community, that I truly believe in, there is no point. So now I'm just like at the point where I'm not just leaving because I want to leave, but I'm also leaving because of myself. Um, I need to, you know, yeah, I, I also have a life to live and I want a beautiful life. And it's sad that my country has just like forced me to move away from my own country again, you know. Um, Will you still be able to, you know, pull fabric from there or, and, and oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> business continues. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> oh yeah. Um, the business is still going on. Um, nothing is being delayed. I'm always traveling to Lagos, um, once a month I have. And also I'm also presently growing the team. So hopefully we get someone that would handle that side, like production part in Lagos. Um, yeah. Thank you to Kenneth Ize, PR Consulting, and Dan Tholley for making this happen. The editor of this episode is Stan Hall. Transcriptions are by Kara Johnson. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Grand Tourist. To keep this going, please follow me on Instagram at Dan Rubenstein to learn more. And don't forget to follow The Grand Tourist on Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to listen, and leave us a rating or comment. Every little bit helps. Till next time.